If you would, please open up with me at this time in your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 8. We'll be finishing this chapter this morning. Zechariah 8. While you're opening there, uh, there, uh, uh, this is a heavily packed uh, piece of Scripture. Uh, and I rejoiced in it. And I pray that you will too. And so if I start to talk too fast as I'm moving us through, you just wave your hand and I'll know that I need to slow down a little bit. <laughs> It's a little bit of a joke, but uh, we will be rocking and rolling through verses 14 through 23 this morning um, to whet our appetite as we, as Christians, are confessing in the Lord Jesus. We find ourselves in what sometimes we see in the Christian world or we hear as uh, the already, not yet. For instance, the Lord has already come, but he has not yet come again. That's the easiest one, but that, that actually plays into life as well, right? Because uh, we are, our sins are already paid for, past, present, and future. Uh, but we have not yet come under judgment, right? You know, it's, it's already, but it's not yet. Jesus has completed his work, uh, but we are still here. Uh, what does this mean and what does this look like? It is a, uh, a great tug and pull that we see in the Christian life, even if we wouldn't use the words, for instance, well, I'm in the already not yet. That's why I feel this way or something like that. Uh, we have the tug and pull of sin, even as we have the strong desire to be righteous. Romans chapter 7 is a great one. And, and all of these things are going to play out in verses 14 through 23. And it's really our main point. It sounds silly when I say it, but you will see what I mean. God's work on earth is finished and not finished. You'll see it in four points. But first, let's pray. And then we'll read our text this morning. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would bless this reading of your holy word. God, this is your word given to us. It's not my word. It is your word. And so, God, I pray that we might treat it with all due respect. That you, being the author of everything, uh, would give us something uh, in and of itself as humbling. And so, God, now would you work by your Spirit, humbling us even more as we recognize that you'd be good enough to be like a father, sitting his children on the knee to explain to us just who you are. Lord, we see who you are here, and we see how good you are, even in times of trial. And so, Lord, would you bless this reading of our word, of your word, and would you do it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Zechariah chapter 8, starting with verse 14. For thus says the Lord of hosts, as I purposed to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, and I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts, so again have I purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear not. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. And love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. And the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth month, and the fast of the seventh month, and the fast of the tenth, shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. Thus says the Lord of hosts, peoples shall yet come 
even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days, ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. This is the word of the Lord, and it is very good for us. Thanks be to God. Here are our four points to get us to see and to, uh, uh, to uh, help us to maneuver this already not yet main point that God's work on earth is finished and not finished. The four points are as follows. Purpose, which you heard, I hope, in the word. Proposition, party, and peoples. First, then, we see the purpose behind God's finished and not finished work, verses 14 and 15. History is linear. Sometimes you'll hear people say, uh, well, uh, history repeats itself, right? Uh, you'll hear this, and sometimes we can fall into the trap of thinking that that means that history comes in a cycle, right? Uh, but just because we repeat something on this straight line path doesn't mean that it is cyclical, right? That it's a circle. No, history is linear. In other words, there is a point A and a point B, and there's a straight line in between point A and point B. It's only going one way. Along this line of history, God's perfect purposes can be seen. In the case of verses 14 and 15, we see God's purpose of both disaster and blessing. And it comes fast. We might skip over the reality that he's talking about 70 years of exile, disaster. Coupling that with the many years that they had come home and experienced disaster. And then moving into what we see here as this uh, age of blessing. He's seeking to transition his people away from provoking him to wrath, says the word here, and to transition them into right relationship with him. It's not a stretch to say, as we heard this word purpose a couple times, that God's purpose in all of this was to bring his people to himself. In that sense, God's work on earth is finished. Remember the main point, that God's work on earth is finished and not finished? In this sense, if the purpose is that God would bring his people to himself, it is finished. In sending his son Jesus, God's purpose here, bringing his people, it's complete. Over and over, in the Old Testament and the New, all of God's Word, we see God revealing the good news that He was moving His people always towards salvation in the good and in the bad, on purpose. And if you were with us last week, tailor-made. As the great spiritual therapist, tailor-made for us, on purpose, so that we might not need to fear about our spiritual well-being. Verse 15, did you catch it? So quick. So again have I purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear not. 
Fear not what? What are you talking about? Fear not, I've got you. I'm doing these things on purpose. Rest assured in me, not in you. Through discipline and reward, through good and bad, if we wanted to say it like that, God was moving the hearts of his people towards himself. And the same is true for us now. This is heavy, but stay with me. All the events of your life, every single one of them, have been purposed by God. In other words, God has brought you through the good. You're with me still. The bad, you're starting to shake. And the ugly, and you think, no way. God has been in all three. And he has done it on purpose that you might be right here where you are right now. And that you might hear these words right now. And that you might begin to see what God's purpose has always been. Which is to bring you, his son or his daughter, home. In that sense then... God's work on earth is not finished, is it? Because you're sitting here and not in the heavenly place. Though we could say centennial is somewhat heavenly. Some people might say it's somewhat hellish depending on the day. We're sinners. We are not in the heavenly place. God's work on earth is not finished. Because he has not only sent his son to die for you to take away every single thing that you have done wrong, to give you the righteousness that you need. But God, he, he has also promised, he has also purposed that he will see you through all the way to the very end. That you'll finish the race. Philippians chapter 1, when he starts a work, he finishes a work. God's purpose then, it's finished in the completed gospel work of Jesus Christ and it's not finished because all his children have not yet entered the heavenly places. And before we step into the second point, let me take it a step further. I am not talking about God bringing those who don't yet believe into the fold. That's our fourth point. I am talking about his people being preserved. Those who are confessing in the Lord Jesus right now, making it all the way home. It's a word for his people who are believing. That's his purpose. Through the good, the bad, and the ugly. Question it all you want. Cry out to God. You see it in the Psalms, don't you? But never doubt that his purposes are to bring you home to the heavenly places in relationship with him. Secondly, we see a proposition in verses 16 and 17. A program, a plan of action. 16 and 17. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. And love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. Regarding this proposition, 
this plan of action, this game plan, verses 16 and 17, God's work on earth is finished. This is very important for us to know. It is uh, the great danger of the Christian church and it started all the way back in the beginning and it goes all the way to the very end and don't call me a prophet because you see it in the Word. We must remember that these things are already finished. Let me show you how. John chapter 8 verses 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Verses 16 and 17. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Colossians chapter 2 verses 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Our verses again. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. There is peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Hear it again from Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Jesus on the cross, crucified. And this is what he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Our verses, do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. Jesus was crucified on the cross looking at the crucifiers and he fulfilled these verses perfectly. Luke chapter 24 verses 44 through 47 then he said to them these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Jesus swore no false oath. For the Lord surely hates such things. His word remained true. To use his own words, Jesus's as he preached, his yes was his yes. Indeed, Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. In him, in Jesus, are verses 16 and 17 fulfilled. They are not rules first but revelation of the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They are not rules first. They are not meant to be written down that we might follow them and think we're doing well. They are meant to reveal the Lord Jesus to you. Did you see it? The proposition, the program, the plan of action was that Jesus would fulfill all these things on our behalf and that we would be saved. And he did it. Perfection incarnate. Went all the way to the cross. He did it. He fulfilled it. It is finished, is what Jesus said. It is complete. And because of this finished work that Jesus has done, we as followers now, 
only after that have the opportunity to truly participate in the proposition, the program, the plan of action. In that sense then, God's work in this proposition is not finished because we are not yet perfectly fulfilling the game plan, nor will we until we transition into the heavenly place. We are works in progress in the fullest of the sense. As we are being drawn along, carried along by God who is doing his work in us. The work started when God saved us. The moment when you or, or myself, when we proclaimed God as our only hope for salvation. And the work will finish when we are made new. When all of our sin is not only paid for, but removed from us. That we might live the lives we were always meant to live. Lives that look, by the way, exactly like verses 16 and 17 in totality. But we must keep going because this brings us to our third point, the party. Verses 18 and 19. The people of God during Zechariah's time had a problem. They were not joyful, period. The consequences of their own sin, coupled with the harsh world around them, had caused them to lose the joy that accompanies faith and fellowship in God. Everything they did for the Lord then, and perhaps even for themselves, had become an arduous task. An arduous task. A slog. Can you resonate with that in your life? Spiritually, or just your life in general, arduous tasks, a slog. When you try to do the right things, but there's no joy, there's no gladness, there's no cheerfulness. It's one of the things I deal with the most, right? Do y'all know that? Uh, how many times do you think someone walks into my office skipping with glee and singing a song while smiling? How many of you have ever done that? Let's do the other one though. How many of you called me when you were really struggling? You know, the pastor doesn't get the call for a little bit of struggle, right? The pastor gets a call for a lot of bit of struggle. When things have really hit the wall. And it's not looking good. This is not a Zechariah time problem for the people of God. We struggle with this because the world's like a vacuum, a Hoover vacuum sucking out the joy. They try to replace that joy with a whole lot of pleasure and it never fills that void. Our own sin closes that cap and doesn't let joy come in. Our suffering and trials trip us up and put holes in the ship. Arduous tasks. The slog. Verse 19. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth shall no longer be there, is what he says, right? What do they transition to a fast, right? Uh, the people of God had taken on a joyless demeanor. Uh, they were uh, uh, eyes cast down and spiritually depressed. And so what does God say here? It's, 
It's almost incredible. It's almost incredible as what I did for the children's sermon, but it's so fitting. Those will no longer be fasts. There'll be seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. God's answer is multiple feasts. In other words, God is telling his people to have lots of parties. Because the word tells us with the therefore at the end, truth and peace bring joy to the Christian. Truth and peace. Here's the truth. You're saved from your sins through God's work on your behalf and you're not going to hell. Here's the peace then. You are not only saved, you are not only not going to hell, but you are brought into right relationship with God where you could come stand before the throne of the maker of the universe and stay standing and not be judged out of existence. You're found perfect before God. Truth and peace. Worth a party, I think. These two things must, hear my words well, must well up within us joy, gladness, and cheerfulness. And so, God in his patience and his love and his grace seeks to remove from his people this depth of spiritual depression that they have fallen into by instituting, can you believe it, parties. Have fun. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Maybe you're familiar with it. Rejoice in the Lord always. And what does Paul say? Again, I'll say it. Rejoice. At the same time, worldly feasts and parties, they will never match that one that is to come. At this feast, there will be peoples from every nation, tribe, and tongue. No one of God's people will be left off the invite list. No one of God's people will have an ounce of sadness due to sin or suffering because sin and suffering will be gone. At this feast, the joy and the gladness and the cheerfulness will only be matched by the worship and adoration being rendered unto the Lord Jesus Christ who is the groom at this wedding feast party. It's a wedding party. It's the marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 8. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. And the bride, they are the people of God. It is clear and without denial in the word. A party. But we must go on. Fourthly, we see God's finished and unfinished work in the peoples. 
verses 20 through 23. God's work was finished when he fulfilled his word and brought a remnant home from the exile. That's what he promised. I'll do it. I'll bring home a remnant. You will never lack someone to be on the throne, David. I will keep these people and I will keep them well in perfect harmony with me. In other words, that was enough. In one sense, God's promise to his people was fulfilled. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And the Lord did it for those people. And yet in another sense, God's work is absolutely unfinished. Because God elsewhere promises, I will make your offspring like the stars of the sky. In other words, God had promised his people through Abraham that they would be so numerous as to be uncountable. And to put it bluntly, the people coming home from exile were countable. You could know how many there were. Verse 20. Peoples shall yet come, and these peoples will be from many cities. Verse 21, it'll be a movement. Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. Verse 22, many people and strong nations shall come. Verse 23, in its entirety, thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. And lest we think too small, let's remind ourselves of how the number ten is used oftentimes in the scripture. And it's like my roommate in college used to say, I've got 50-11 assignments to do for this engineering class. I've got 50-11 things I can do before I talk to you. I've got 50-11 things that I've got to pick up. What's y'all's? I've heard, I've heard 150, 50-11, 490. What's your, what's your number? I've got a million, millions and millions of things to do. In the scriptures, you see a couple important numbers. Three, very important. It's a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. On the basis of two or three witnesses, shall you be confirmed? You see number seven. Number seven, perfection. And then you see number 10. And number 10 means perfectly powerful with all of the might behind you. 10. It's a numeral of 10, right? Millions. We are millions. And so lest we think that it's just 10 from every city. No. No. Revelation chapter 7. Verses 9 and 10, after this I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. They cried out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God's work on earth, it is finished and it is unfinished because it is continuing right now. Let me conclude and let me do it with two, two application questions. Are you resting in the finished work of God on your behalf? In other words, do you say with your mouth and your heart, that God through Jesus has completely saved you. That in that realm, there is nothing else to be done. It's finished. Do you say that? Do you confess that? And number two, are you an act? 
active participant in the ongoing work of God. There are purposes of God that you are now a part of as the subject operating rather than as the object being operated upon. There are propositions, game plans from God in His Word that will help us fulfill God's purposes. There is a command of rejoicing, of parties, because it reveals the truth and peace from and in God. There are yet peoples who need to hear all of these things. And so I ask you with full seriousness and sobriety, are you an active participant in God's ongoing work? Answer the questions well, because these two are of utmost importance for the Christian. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for, for how, how large, how wide, and how deep your graciousness and your goodness and your power is. And so God, as we look to this word, may we be convicted of our own sins. And may we be comforted in the gospel of Jesus. And may we rejoice even as we go and even as we work. Lord, would you do it in Jesus' name. Amen.